Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back. Welcome back to An Athlete's Journey. I'm your host, Travis Reed. Today, I got a special guest. Somebody uh, tried to get on for a little bit, so I appreciate him, you know, coming on. I know he's busy. Uh, so, you know, I'm humbled for the experience to get to interview him. Uh, you know, somebody who, uh, you know, like I said, I, I admire what he's done and, and the things that he's uh, accomplished. So definitely wanted to get his uh his, you know, his journey. And like I said, let the world know that he's, uh, his, what his journey is needed for the world, <laughs> for people to, to really, uh, you know, hear his, hear his story. And, uh, please uh, introduce yourself to the people. Well, I appreciate you having me on here, Travis. Uh, my name's Dre Baldwin. Uh, some know me as Dre all day, a former nine year pro athlete, author of a few books, done some Ted talks and got this brand called work on your game. which I'm sure we're going to talk about here today. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I said, uh, Man, he's doing big things, everybody, like straight up. So, like I said, let's just get right into it. Uh, how did your uh, journey start in sports? Uh, I started for as far back as I can remember, Travis. So I always played, I was always into sports, you know, growing up. So coming from uh, Philadelphia, PA, my hometown, you know, we played all the all the backyard sports. And we didn't really have a backyard. We called it the driveway. It was, it was paint, <laughs> right? So, so <laughs> that's, that's the sports we played. So it was uh, – kickball, uh, two-hand touch football. If somebody had one of the portable basketball courses, you pull out the garage, we would play on that. And that's that's pretty much what we did. So we would gather up and we would play sports. And as we got older, probably into our uh, early, maybe 12, 13 years old, then we started going to the local playground, which was a couple blocks away. And we played some team sports there. So uh, I did a little bit of football, dabbled in it, but never really played football. I never even got the equipment, so I didn't really play. Then played baseball for a minute. Much of my friends played that. And then by the time we got to our mid-teens, about 14, everybody was going to the basketball court. So that's where most of the older guys would always be on the basketball court. And where I'm from, that's what everybody gravitates to is basketball because you need equipment for football. Mm -hmm. Baseball wasn't ever really that popular. You need equipment for that, too. Tennis was never that popular. It's a beautiful tennis courts where I'm from, but nobody played as a couple people. <laughs> everybody was on the basketball court. So that's where I ended up playing. I ended up on basketball at age uh, 14, which is pretty late if you want to go somewhere. But that was the situation. Okay. Okay. So I was going to have my next question. You, did you go in the, the AAU circuit growing up or, or did you just mm -hmm. like straight to high school basketball, you know, obviously playing uh, basketball? I never saw one second of AAU basketball. Not <laughs> so so where, where I'm from, actually, AAU, I mean, it existed, but it wasn't really that big where I'm from. A neighborhood that I came from, it was maybe one or two guys who ever even played AAU in my um, generation. So I grew up, I was born in 1982, so I turned 18 in the year 2000. So in the 90s, I was only a couple guys, and they were like the guys who were like all city players. So they knew a bunch of people from all over. Well, everybody knew them because mm -hmm. of how good they were. Mm -hmm. So they got invited to go play AAU, but like the rec center I came from, we didn't even have a pipeline to AAU basketball. We didn't have that. We were playing like rec league tournaments and we would go travel and play against other teams and stuff. But as far as the pipeline for AAU, that didn't exist. It was probably a generation or two after mine. And some of the younger guys who were maybe five, seven, eight years younger than me, they started playing AAU because mm. people came around and they put the, the infrastructure in place to where people from our hood could play AAU. But when I was coming up, we didn't even we didn't even talk about AAU. We didn't even know about it for the most part. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. So it was basically like street, you know, like like just playing around, like you said, a rec league. Exactly. Stuff. Yeah, right. it's, it's the same in a way with me. Like for the first 12 years, you know, my I played with my, my dad's team. It was a Boys and Girls Club team. So, right. You know, exactly. That's what yeah. we had. Yeah. 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 So I understand that. Now, you're you're, you're in high school, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what would you say uh, was your most memorable moment in high school? As far as sports goes, um, yep. most memorable moment in high school. Wow. I would probably say, you know, it's funny because I didn't make my high school team. So I was a senior. I didn't play oh, wow. the senior year. Right. So I didn't make we only had one team, but there's no freshman team. So I know when I went to college, I meet these kids who came from suburban towns and they had a freshman team. They had a JV team. They had all these different teams. We had one team and the team made it. We didn't have an assistant coach. It was one coach. He was the gym teacher and he was a health teacher during the day. 
And he was the basketball coach. He had no assistant coaches. So it was just one team. Everybody tried out for the team. So my freshman year trying out, like every boy in the school tried out for the basketball team. And it's 12 people you try out, you make it, you don't. So I didn't make it to my senior year. And that one year I sat the bench. So I had a I had a great seat, you no know, front row, front row seats to the whole whole season. But it was right there on the bench, you no, know, not playing <laughs> as a senior. So so the thing is uh Travis, my best uh memory from high school was actually I played on a rec league team my junior year. So I wasn't even on a high school team. I was playing on a local team and I played pretty good on that team. So that playing on that team was actually a very pivotal for me because it helped build up my confidence. Mm. That even the next year when I made the high school team, which was good, it was good to just have that on my resume. Like I made the team, even though I didn't do anything. I had a whole lot of confidence from playing on that recreational team because that team, we went all the way to the championship. We lost in the championship game, but I was one of the main players on the team that built up my confidence. And when I went to college, and w- which we'll get to, yeah. I had the confidence that I could actually, I was still getting better. That I could actually do something because I had some proof of doing something somewhere in my life up to that point. <laughs> some victories. <laughs> I got you. See, yeah, yeah, exactly. it's a victory. Yeah. Now, yeah. obviously, that was going to be my next question about college. So obviously you you know you play senior year but you don't really play that much. Right. Now you look you want to go to college. Was there any colleges you know were you going to be just a walk on on any college that you was going to go to or where some coaches kind of like well maybe we'll bring you in you know see what happens kind of thing. No, nobody was looking at me. <laughs> nobody was looking <laughs> at me. Nobody knew who I was. I mean, when I say I didn't play my senior year, I did not play. I scored two points per game. So if I played, I might get in at the end of a blowout and maybe make a layup or something. That was pretty much all I did. So uh, I knew I was going to go to college, period, just as a a person. My mom's an educator, so she was big on and she dropped out of college when she had kids. I got one sister. So she dropped out when my sister and I were very young so she could raise her kids Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and take care of us. She wanted to be really involved. So she was big on my kids are going to go to college because she hadn't gone to college Mm -hmm, and my dad mm -hmm. didn't either. So. I knew I was going to go to college and academically I go into pretty good schools. I was a good enough student. I didn't super apply myself. I was good enough, but I knew I was going to go to college. So I knew I'd be walking on and I ended up at first, I was actually going to go to Morehouse. I was going to go to Morehouse college. I got recruited academically to go to Morehouse and the guy a recruiter from Morehouse offered me a 50% scholarship uh, to go there. Now Morehouse is in Atlanta. Right. I'm from Philly. So I was an out of state student. So I told my parents about Morehouse recruiting me because I got accepted to a bunch of colleges because I went to a pretty good high school. And but there was no real reason for me to pick any one of them, because, again, I didn't I wasn't getting offered a bunch of money like academically scholarship wise. And I wasn't being recruited athletically. So mm-hmm. when Morehouse offered me that 50 percent. We said, all right, well, they're offering you 50 percent. Morehouse is a great school. No black man, all male school. Go to Morehouse. So I was going to go. My parents were on board with it until they sat down and did the math on sending me to Morehouse. And they said, look, even with that 50 percent scholarship, the other 50 percent is way too much money. Right? People don't know Morehouse is like forty eight thousand dollars a year out of state. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, wow. A lot of people don't know that. Right? Mm. People think HBCU, you think it's cheap. No, it's not cheap. Forty eight grand a year out of state. Now, I don't know what it was then, but it was probably pretty close. And my parents said, look, if we take out loans to pay for that because they're not going to give it to you. You won't get the loan for that much money. We're going to be in debt for the rest of our lives. And my parents are, were, for the most part, nine to five employees. Like We won't be able to pay that off. We can't do it. So I've been accepted also to Penn State. Again, I'm from mm. Philly. So Penn State is in state. And Penn State has like 20 campuses. A lot of people don't know that. And there's like way cheaper. So like the scholarships I was being offered could pretty much cover what it was going to cost to go to Penn State. So they said, look, just go to Penn State. And I couldn't say anything. What am I going to say? I had no leverage. I had no money. So what am I going to do? So that's how I ended up going to, I went to a school called Penn State Abington, which is right outside of Philly. Mm-hmm. And Penn State Abington doesn't even have dorms. So this is like, it's almost like you're going to a community college because no dorms. You're going, I'm back home every day. Go to school, go home. Right. So that was what I did my freshman year. I walked on at Penn State Abington, which was a, a very small pond, so to speak, Travis, athletically. I walked in the gym. I was the most talented player on campus the first day I got there. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> well, there you go. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Only yeah. two years there. Yeah. So it was only two years at the okay. time. Okay. So all the upperclassmen were just sophomores. So after two years, you were done. And most of them, again, they didn't have any ambitions for basketball. And when I walked in, again, I was the most talented player. I wasn't the best performer, but I was the most talented player. Mm-hmm. Put it that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So after you do, you know, obviously, your two years, you know, at at the Penn State School, then what, what, yeah. what's next on your journey? 
So I actually only did one year at Edmonton. Oh, okay, so I'm okay. gonna tell you what happened. So, and this is a this is one of the big pivotal moments for me athletically. So Penn State Edmonton again, right outside of Philly, about 20 minutes from where I live. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the basketball season, we played the whole season. We lose in the uh, the playoffs is only like three rounds. We lost in the first round of the playoffs. After the season ended, I never saw any of my teammates in person ever again. And the reason I never saw them again is because listen, the campus is very small. Penn State Edmonton campus is like four buildings. It's two buildings with classrooms. There's uh, the gym and the cafe. There's only four buildings. So <laughs> you see people, you see them, right? So right. I always was in the gym every day after my classes ended. Cause you know, when you're in college, you schedule your classes around the workout schedule, practice schedule and mm-hmm. the game schedule. So all my classes were early in the morning, afternoons were open. I would just, when my classes were done, I went to the gym and just worked on my game. Or if it was some stragglers in there, I was just playing against the regular dudes on campus, whoever was in there. I was just playing pickup with anybody. I never, none of my teammates ever came in the gym again after the season ended because, as I said, these guys were not ambitious about sports. <laughs> right, they played right. because they could, right? Mm-hmm. And now, nowadays, Penn State Edmonton is a D3 school. Okay. So, anybody who's played at the D3 level, you understand that a lot of players who play D3 sports, Travis, they play because they can, because it's available. Like, I'm good enough to compete here. Let me just play. But they're not thinking, like, I'm going to go to the NFL or the NBA. or the, They're not thinking like that. They're like, I'm just playing because I can had they been in the D1, they wouldn't even have tried, right? They just play for fun, but they play here. So when the season ended, I never saw those guys again because they didn't practice. They didn't work on their games. They came for the team activities, and that's it. So I'm being in the gym by myself just working out. Summer comes. School ends. It's summertime. So it was like June, July. I'm still coming to campus every day to use that gym because mm-hmm. this is the first time in my life, like people understand the time frame here. We're talking about the summer of 2001. It's the first time in my life I had access to an indoor gym on a consistent basis. I, I built my whole game playing on blacktop. And in Philly, it was the first time I had access to a gym because I'm a student. So I got use my student ID. I can get into that gym. The gym there is pristine, beautiful. And nobody ever used it. It's just empty. I'm in there practicing. <laughs> One day I, I pull up and I had a car. I pulled up to the gym, parked my car. I'm about to go into the gym to work out, but I hadn't eaten breakfast that day. And I walk across the campus to go to the cafe, I go to the cafe, get some food. I'm walking out. Black dude walks up to me. Now, this is Penn State Abington. I know all the black people because the campus ain't that big. Right? I don't know this dude. Right? Right. Black, dude, black dude walks up to me. He's like, yo, what position you play? And mind you, Travis, I'm from Philly. Right? Where I'm from, you don't walk up to somebody and start talking. Yeah. <laughs> right? You don't do that. I'm looking at dude like, who are you? Like, who is this dude? Why are you talking? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't say that to him, but I just gave him a look. Like, how you know I play? What are you talking about? Like, We're not in the basketball court. We're in the cafe. Right, and right. He's like, uh, he's like, yeah, I'm just asking. And I was like, well, I play guard. And he says, oh, what's your major? So I could tell he was kind of like a administrative type of guy, the way he was dressed. He was like my dad's age. So we start talking. He asked me about my major and, and this and that. He hands me his business card. He works at a different campus of Penn State. His campus, Penn State has 23 campuses. Oh, yeah. He, told me he works at Penn State Altoona, which is a full-fledged D3 at this point, which is a step up from where I was at. And Altoona is basically the second biggest campus to the main campus with the football team and all that that people know about. He works there. He works in the admissions office, but he has two jobs. His other job, he's the basketball coach. This guy's the head basketball coach. And he just happened <laughs> to run into me in the cafeteria. And the funny, and so we go to have this conversation. He basically recruits me on the spot to come play for him at Penn State Altoona. Now, I, you know, I immediately in the conversation, because I know where Altoona, I know what Altoona is. I know they're D3. I know they're a four-year school. That means I got three more years I can play college ball if I go there. Mm-hmm. And I want to get the hell out of Abington anyway, because I'm still living in my parents' house. I'm like, I'll go anywhere. It didn't matter who it was. I would have went anywhere. <laughs> right? It didn't matter who it was. If you would have asked me to come, I was going. Mm-hmm. Right. So by the time that conversation is over, I'm like, I'm going to Abington, Altoona. All I got to do is just do the paperwork. And the good thing is they're in the same system. So you don't lose any credits. You don't lose anything. You just basically just go to the office. They click a couple buttons and boom, you are, you're enrolled in other campus. So I go tell my parents about it. You know, they're pretty much sold on the idea. They want to get me out the house, too. And I'm eating all the food, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand that. I understand right. that. So, so that's how I ended up going to Penn State Altoona. I finished my last three years there. And here's the part that I always tell people about this to tell you this, Travis. That guy did not know who I was. He was not looking for me that day. He was there on other business. He, he later told me, look, I was there doing something else. I just saw you walk by. I knew what kind of players I needed for my roster the following season. And you looked like you might be that kind of player. Like I knew I needed like a wing athlete, athlete type dude. You look like you might be one. I had no idea who you were. He said, I'll talk to you. And then after I talked to you, then I went and found out who you were. And it turned out you actually could play. Right? I might have been a complete bum. Right? <laughs> it turned out you could actually play. After that, I went and talked to your coach and all that. But I knew I was gone. So, 
That's how I ended up going to Penn State Altoona on random luck, just because I was doing the work, showing up every day when I didn't have to to work on my game. So that's how I got recruited to Altoona. Wow. That's a heck of a story, man. Because like I said, most people wouldn't say like, you know, a guy come, hey, who are you? You know, like, hey, man, what you you doing? I don't know you, man. Like, but yeah. (laughs) That's a heck. That's a heck of a story, man. So obviously, you go to you, you go to the D you no know, D three school. Yeah. Uh, how was things your first year there compared to where you were at previously? At well, at Altoona, the players were a little bit better, a little bit more serious. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys did practice a little bit more than the guys at Abington, but really not that much. It was still D three, but the coach, the coaching, and the program, and the whole system was a little bit more serious. Excuse me. They expected a little bit more of the players, especially like with practice habits. Now, mind you, at this point, Travis, I hadn't really played a lot of serious team basketball. So I didn't really understand the concept of coming to practice every day and practicing hard. I knew how to work on my game by myself. That's how I developed skills. But as far as practicing with the team, I didn't really grasp the concept of you got to come and practice hard every day. Like I did. I didn't really get it. And because of that, I lost out on some playing time that year. So I ended up not being a starter most of the season when I should have been because I had more talent than everybody else on that team again. But I didn't have a work ethic. So rightfully, I was like maybe seventh or eighth in a rotation that year. And our team was not very good. So, I mean, I played. I was on the team and I got some successes. But overall, our team wasn't that good. And our coach ended up guy who recruits me ends up getting fired at the end of my sophomore year. Oh, man. Okay, so after the end of your sophomore year, then what's next for you? So they hired a new coach. I didn't leave. Uh, They hired a new coach, and uh, this guy was a former NBA player by the name of Armin Gilliam. You remember him? Yeah, I remember Armin Gilliam. Yeah, big dude, right? Yes, he did, about 6'9", 6'10". Yeah, so he had retired from the NBA maybe four, three, four years earlier, something like that. He, he was just getting into coaching. So they hired him to be the coach, and I remember this day vividly. I I was on campus in the summer there that year because I had changed majors to go from Abington to Altoona. So because I changed majors, I was a little bit behind for my degree. So I stayed in the summer to take some extra classes. So when they hired the new coach in the summer, I'm there, I'm on campus. So I go meet him. I go to meet the guy and our athletic director. He knows me, he introduced me to the coach. And I remember the day that I met Armin Gilliam, he just looked right through me. It was like, I wasn't even there because anybody who knows anything about college sports, like, I mean, we know what the whole, like with Dion in, at Colorado, when a new coach comes in, uh, like Dion said, he said it out loud. Every other coach, the same thing. So I'm bringing my luggage, right? And it's Louie, right? So he was bringing his luggage and I wasn't, I was the old luggage. So he was getting rid of me. So I could tell just by the way he interacted with me that he didn't even care that I existed. I'm like, oh man, if I'm, I'm coming back here next year, this dude just looked at me like I'm nobody. He's thinking about replacing me already. So I gotta, I gotta be ready because I know I'm not leaving. I have no options. So what am I going to do? I got to earn my way onto this team. So I already had that in my mind from the summertime. Now we get to the school year and he has open tryouts. So it's like everybody can, nobody has a spot. Like it's open. So the previous year when the coach who recruited me had brought me and we had tryouts, it was like, what, 30 guys tried out for the basketball team. Cause most people are like, all right, I ain't going to make the basketball team. This coach ain't one. They don't, they didn't bother. But this year when this new coach comes in, it's like 90 guys trying out for the basketball team. Ooh. Everybody tries out for the team. <laughs> it's like 90 people on camp. And I'm like, I'm excited at the same time. I'm like, all right, this is serious because I know I don't have a spot. I mean, one thing, if I had a spot, I didn't have a spot. So I had to play my way in through tryouts. And luckily I did that. I played my way in. I made the basketball team. A bunch of my former teammates from the previous year got cut by this new coach. They got cut by Armageddon because they showed up like as if they had a spot already because they had been on the team the year before. These are guys mm. who were starters. They were seniors getting cut from the basketball team in tryouts. And the re- and one of the reasons that I bring all that up, Travis, is because of this. That summer when I met Gilliam and he looked through me like I wasn't there, that put the light, that put the, the battery in my back. Like, okay, he's mm. he don't care about who was on the team already. My other teammates, they didn't have that experience. So they came in all cocky, like I already got my spot. They didn't know what I knew. All right. So I just had a different mindset because I saw the way he engaged with me. So I ended up making a team. Uh, this is my junior year. I only played about half the season, maybe eight, 10 games. I get kicked off the team. So he basically cleaned house. I was the wow. last player from the previous regime to still be on the roster when I was off the team. So he really did bring in a whole new roster of players. So my last year and a half of college, I was completely healthy, academically eligible, uh, still one of the best players on campus was not on the basketball team. My junior, half of my junior year, all my senior year, I did not play on the team at my D3 college. 
Wow. Wow, man. That's man, that's a crazy story. So he literally was he bringing in players like at the at the halfway point? How was he getting, letting players go? Did he have a did he already have these players like already in the school or something? I'm like, that's how do you cut yeah. players at the halfway point? We could do a whole episode on that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it's a couple of things. So he had so he cut everybody from the previous regime. We had like nine returning players. He cut everybody. So he picked up a bunch of guys who were basically freshmen. A whole bunch of freshmen on the team. Team was terrible this year. Even when I was playing, we weren't that good. So he picked up a bunch of freshmen, and then he started bringing in uh, transfers. He started bringing in uh, JUCO transfers, oh, transfer okay. people who have been at like D1s and D2s and messed up. He was bringing them to our school. So, <laughs> And the thing is, because he played in the league, so he knows all these ball players. So he's just calling guys he knows, and they're just sending people from all over. He's sending, He's getting players from everywhere to come play for him. But the challenge is, this is Penn State. And Penn State ain't no Ivy League school, but it ain't no easy school academically. Like you gotta, you gotta do some work to get a degree from Penn State. And some of the players he brought in either had some messed up transcripts, so they couldn't play immediately, or they ended up flunking out, even though he got them in there in the first place. So it, it was a whole, it was a whole uh, messed up situation. He didn't even last that long. He ended up getting fired after like three years. But the coach, he would do random stuff. Like he'd be on campus. Like, I remember there was one guy on campus. He was like six nine. Mm-hmm. But he didn't play basketball. He was not a basketball player. He was just six nine. Walking <laughs> around campus, right? He's walking around campus. The coach sees him, and he that day after Gilliam runs into this guy. That day he's in practice with the team practicing, and Gilliam says, "Get in the defensive stance." The guy didn't know what the defensive stance was. Right. <laughs> so he just randomly, he's bringing random dudes in. He would walk in the gym in the middle of the day because at that time our campus only had one gym. So everybody plays pickup in the same gym. You have classes in the gym. The games are in the gym. He would walk in the gym and just watch random dudes playing pickup at lunch. And if somebody was looking good, he would invite them to practice that day with the basketball team. So he's just picking up random stragglers out of nowhere. So we, when me and my ex-teammates get together and talk about this, we just laugh and laugh about the stuff he used to do. <laughs> but, that, yeah, he was literally just picking people up randomly out of nowhere. That's, that's crazy. That's that's last chance you. He doing last chance yeah, exactly. you stuff. That's you know what I'm saying? saying? But is that Penn State? You can't get away with that at Penn State. No, no, you can't do that. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. okay. Okay, so you don't play, you know, you you don't finish your junior year and your senior year, right? right? So, but you're obviously academically doing obviously yeah. good. So, yeah. yeah. So what happens after you you do your four years? Yeah, so I graduate, uh, go back home, and my parents are like, all right, you got your degree, congratulations. No, that's what my parents cared about, just get the degree. They didn't care about the sports side. And I'm like, they're like, what you want to do? I said, I'm going be to become a professional basketball player. So you can imagine how this goes. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, oh. <laughs> right. So they, they saw this whole story. Right? They saw everything I just told you they know about. So wait a minute, how are you going to play pro basketball? Right? And my mom just started asking me some logical questions. And she knows nothing about the sports world. She said, do you have a, a plan? Do you have a strategy? Do you have a job offers? Like, how are you going to? And the answers was no, I didn't have any of that. So she's like, look, man, you got a degree. You know, we sacrificed to make sure you and your sister got your degrees and all that. Like, you need to start living like an adult. You need to go get yourself a job, you know, get a career, you know, you know get your resume, you know, just you can get yourself a car, an apartment, you know. At the time, I had braids, right? She's like, you need to get a haircut, <laughs> right? So she- <laughs> <laughs> you know, parents is with that. They hate that. Um, uh, I mean, I remember my dad, he was like, he gave me the, the weirdest locker because I came in with like, you know, I was growing my hair braids at one time. So I right. had, the twi- had the twisties. Yeah. And he was like, <laughs> man if you don't cut that off i ain't gonna give you no more money in college i'm like dang yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah, right. just because of my hair but yeah but go ahead finish the story yeah so my mom tells me that and she was 100 correct in in terms of her assessment of my situation because i didn't really have any prospects i just had this this dream this hoop dream mm. and i didn't have any way to make it happen so that's this is 2004 summer 2004 I went and got me a regular job. I got a job at Foot Locker as an assistant manager. So I was assistant manager at Foot Locker. Then I got a job at this gym called Bally Total Fitness, selling memberships. And I did that for my whole first year out of college. I just worked a couple of regular jobs. I went and got me a membership at LA Fitness to work out and just keep practicing. And that's what I did for a year. So in the summer of 2005, I've been graduated for a year. I saved up my money to go to this event called an exposure camp. And I know you know what those are. So exposure camp, for those who don't know, is like a job fair for athletes. So you pay money to go. And this is for everybody who thinks they're good enough to play at the next level. But right now you're not at the next level. Mm-hmm. So that was my I was like, this is my make or break right here. This is my one chance. 
And that event was in Orlando, Florida. Now from Philly, this is like a 17 hour drive. We rented a car in Philly, me and a couple of my former teammates from college. We rented a car in Philly. We drove to Orlando. We hop out the car at 9 a.m. Saturday morning. Camp started at 9 a.m. Saturday morning. So I tell people oh, wow. 823. Yeah, 823, I could do that. I couldn't do it now. I could do it then. Right? right. So we hop out the car. It's only two days, Saturday, Sunday. And I played pretty good. We have four games. Everything's on tape. You get a scouting report. I did pretty good at that event. Had to go back home. Had to be back at work on Monday. Valley Total Fitness. And, <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I, I had to negotiate with my boss to get the weekend off because, you know, when you work at a, a retail type job, you don't get nobody gets the weekend off. That's true. That's true. Weekend, right? I had to negotiate with him. So he let me get the weekend off. I got back to work and I started cold calling agents. Again, this is summer of 2005. So I'll go on Google. I look up basketball agent. Any agent who had a phone number, I called them and I cold called about 60 of them. Out of that 60, about 20 of them, I got in touch with. And they said, all right, let me see what you got. I sent them a link to my scouting report, and I had to send them my footage. Now, this footage is not a link. This is a VHS tape. You remember those, Trevor? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. VHS tape. All right, so anybody under 30 listening to this, you Google that. So VHS <laughs> tape. <right? laughs> so I, I'm making copies of the VHS. I had a double-decker VCR at home. I was making copies of the tape and mailing them out in bubble mailers to any agent who asked to see my tape. Uh, out of those 20 that I sent my tape to, one of them I got back in touch with. And he said, all right, I'll represent you. And he signed me. This is summer 2005. And I got my first deal in late August, early September 2005. That was in Countess, Lithuania. So that's how I got started uh, playing pro ball. Man, that's uh, wow. <laughs> man, that's an amazing story, man. And like the fact that you actually went to Lithuania because, you know, I played in Estonia. Yeah. Yeah, I played in Estonia for like three years. So okay. we used to have to play in the Baltic League. That's right. Versus Zagidis and uh Yeah, they were the top team. Yeah, they were top team uh, Nep- right. Aritas. We played mm-hmm. against them. And then like uh we played against like Neptunus and Neptunus. Sha- Yeah, right. Sha- Shailai, you know, a mm-hmm. couple other teams I can't think. But we played them like they were like the mid teams in mm-hmm. the you know in the Baltic, and then they was you know, obviously Zagidis was the big team, so I know exactly yeah, what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's man, that's man, that's a crazy story, man. So you <laughs> you you obviously the grind is real when it comes to the tapes and that because I know about agents. I never yes. believe I never believe any agent until the, the deal is like actually on the table for me to sign. So I feel you. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no. Like, yeah. I mean, my first year I was in Bogota, Colombia. So this is before okay. before Cocaine Cowboys. Otherwise, my mom wouldn't let me go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, right. yeah, I was in Bogota. I went to Medellin. I went to all these uh-huh. places. Like, the drug dealers, they were the owners of the teams. Mm-hmm. So, they, you know, they there was no police. The police was the military. So, I had armed bodyguards with, like, AK-47s with me at all times. So, they couldn't wow. kidnap me. Yeah. Obviously, me out of college, yeah. not even knowing all this right. is going on. I'm just hooping. Right. All the guys I knew who played in um, South and Central America, they tell me about that. I never played in South or Central America. I was all Europe. Yeah. Yeah. That was like I, I said, that was Mexico for a minute. But everybody okay. there tell me about that, having the bodyguards and all that. Yeah. they You yeah. have to because they be kidnapping people like they all keep right. us all in a hotel. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, but yeah, like after that, I was obviously strictly, you know, strictly Europe. But yeah. uh, man, that's crazy. So you're in uh, Lithuania. Lithuania. Yeah. You play you play your first year. How do you do? I did okay. I didn't even. I wasn't even there that long. I wasn't even. There. I was there probably about six weeks. And oh. they they make their changes, and you know how it goes overseas. So they make their changes. They want to bring in somebody else. They want to play a different position. So yep. they brought in. When I first got there, it was already an American there. Then they brought me, and it was an African guy there, and I think it was the three of us. But then they brought in. They were bringing different Americans who come in like every week. Would come and go, come and go, come and go. And I think they were just looking for a certain type of player. So I ended up only being there about six weeks. I did okay. I mean, there's no footage. Uh, I don't know what the stats were. So <laughs> this was I mean, this is the time before we had all this digital stuff. And I remember the coach had me playing point guard. Now, I never even played point guard full time in my life up until when I first got there. Coach didn't speak English. So my agent, the Lithuanian agent, who's connected with my American agent, he's at every practice. So the coach says something. He tells me what the coach said, and that's how we're communicating every practice, every game. But it was a, it was still a, a great experience. It was a great adventure because I was my thing was athleticism at the beginning of my career. So anything I couldn't do, like as far as running, the not running the floor, but running the offense wise is made up with athletic ability. I'm just driving to the hole, trying to dunk you know, <laughs> like that. That's, that's all I would do. 
Okay, I, I, okay. I wasn't used to playing the point guard position. No, nah, I feel you. So you play six weeks, you go yeah. back home. Then what's next for you? Yep. I got a job at a supermarket. So I'm oh, working wow. overnight at a supermarket, stocking shelves. Mm-hmm. Right. So, mm-hmm. and you can imagine the drop from you overseas with euros in your pocket. You know, you walking around and you're like one of the only black guys in town. Everybody knows you're a ball player. All the girls looking at you now. You're working overnight at a supermarket, stocking shelves uh, for twelve fifty an hour. So that's where I was at, probably around, around, about around this time, around Thanksgiving, going into December of that year, two thousand five. That's where I was at. And my agent, you know how agents tell you, uh, stay in shape, you no, know, keep working out, you no, know, I'll let you know, you know, that's that's everything. My yeah, agent yeah, yeah, pretty yeah, much. Finally, yeah. So finally, he calls me, and right around Christmas. And there was a traveling team in the USA. These like these teams that go around different towns and play little exhibition games. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it was a team called the Harlem Ambassadors. So not the Globe Trotters that everybody knows about, but like the the Costco version. That's the team <laughs> I, I got on. <laughs> so so he he found them. I don't know how he found them. Right. I never heard of them. But they wanted me. I said, all right, so I can work at the supermarket. I'll go play for them. All right, so I'll go play for them. Right, so they're in Colorado. All right, they call Harlem, but they're in Colorado. So I fly out to Colorado, and I'm playing for them. So I played with them the whole like first half of 2006. I'm playing mm-hmm. with this team, and we're in this little 15-passenger van. We went the whole – every state in the western half of America. We're just driving in this van playing in exhibition games. Like doing dunks, doing dances, signing autographs, just in these small towns. Though you're not playing in the big cities because they right. don't they got they got the NBA. So we're playing in these small towns and all these all these states. So when I tell people I've been to every state in America. That they're one of the reasons why <laughs> traveling around, just playing in these games. So I did that for the whole first half of 2006. Okay, man. Like I said, like man, your your journey is so crazy. I thought my journey was crazy. Listen to your journey is real. <laughs> So yeah. obviously the first half of 2006, yep. um, what happens after that? So one of my teammates, he was a guy from Memphis, my guy, Gerald, he was a little bit older than me and he was only playing on the team because he was on a break from playing where he played. Most of his ball was in Mexico. He right. had a, he had a solid career in Mexico and a lot of Americans go to Mexico. They don't come back. They just go to Mexico, they ball. And if you do good, they just keep bringing you back. So he had played in Mexico for several years. And on his traveling team that we're on, we're not really playing serious basketball, Travis. Like, this is like we had choreographed skits that we did during the game, like, you know, pulling people's pants down and, you know, dumping, <laughs> dumping something on your head and doing dances. So it's not real basketball. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like one of the dunkers. Like, we had like four or five guys whose job was to make dunks. And then you had one person who would dribble. And then one person, they had a mic attached to their shirt. So they're like, talking and making jokes during the game. It's like the Globetrotters. Like, you see the Globetrotters. They're not playing serious basketball. They're, they're playing around. It's like a show. That's what it is. It's a show. So I remember one of my teammates, he was like, man, I'm not even a ball player anymore. I'm an actor. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're <laughs> he was right. He was, he was Honestly, he was correct. So we're not playing serious ball. So on our off days, though, we would try to find a gym where we could actually go play some actual basketball. So one time we had an off day. We were in, like, Wyoming or something. And we go play. We're playing like half court, three on three. And my teammate, Gerald, as we're playing, he's looking at me. He's noticing my game because me and him were roommates on the road. So, you know, you play on these small teams. You got roommates at every hotel. So when we're back at the hotel, he's like, yo, Dre, I was saw, I saw you playing today. It was the first time I really got to saw you play like for real. I see you can actually play. Like some of these dudes can't actually play, but you can actually play. So he was like, look. I don't know if you know this, but I actually play in Mexico because he hadn't told anybody. He was a, a quieter dude. He didn't talk about himself. He was like, I actually play in Mexico. I'm only on this team right now because we got a break from Mexico, but I'm going back in like three weeks. When mm-hmm. I go back, I'm going to tell my man, that Mexican agent about you. I'm going to call you and I'm going to get you to come down to Mexico with me. I was like, all right, cool. And he followed through. He did what he said he was going to do. Oh, so okay. he goes back to Mexico. Uh, he tells his man about me, a Mexican dude named Ricardo. Ricardo calls me. And he's like, yeah, we want you to come down to Mexico. We need you to get to this town on this date. They ain't tell me how to get there. He says, just get there. And we'll take you from there. We're going to take you around, let you play. Because you know how Mexico works. They bring the Americans down. And you go on these, like, these tours. They call it like the touring team. So he's like, yeah, we're going to get you on one of these teams. You play good for one of these teams, the touring team. The other team sees you, they like you, and they're like, all right, we want that guy, and they sign you. That's basically how you get on. Mm-hmm. So Gerald did what he said he was going to do. They called for me. I hopped on a I hopped on a Greyhound, Travis Greyhound. 
I, I took the Greyhound from Phoenix because, again, this is wherever I was at. I hopped off the, the show team in Phoenix, hopped on a Greyhound there, and took the bus from Phoenix to Guadalajara, Mexico. Man, that's how I got to Mexico. <laughs> so, man, man, that's a crazy story, dog. Yeah. And so, okay, well, let's just rewind. Like, how many yeah. years did you play professional ball? Like, how many? So, I started in 05, I ended in 2015, but there were gaps in the schedule. So, all told, nine years, but there was years when it wasn't nothing popping off. No, I, I feel you, man. Like I said, yeah. I feel you. Um, so, you played 10 years. Okay. So, yeah. how many years did you play in Mexico? Everything was one year. I oh, so you just play anywhere more than one year. Oh, so you would just hop, 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 hop. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So yeah. you just so after Mexico, you go back to you go back to Europe. So after Mexico, I go back to no, I go back home. I go back home to Philly because I didn't immediately get the next job. And like I don't think there was ever a time when one job ended and I already knew where the next job was going to be. I didn't have one time that that happened. Every time it was like I got to go do this again. Right, right, right. I got to make this happen again. I got to find my agent or find another agent. I went through multiple agents. I'm sure you did as well. Yeah, no, no, of course. Hell yeah. Yeah, so I went back to Philly. That was, oh, so this is last half of 06. I go get another regular job. I finally move out my parents' house. I'm 24 years of age at this point. So I move out and get me an apartment in Philly. I work a regular job for about eight, nine months. Uh, move to I moved to Miami at this point. So because I know I'm just gonna play ball. So it don't matter where I live. I can get a I can get this kind of job anywhere, right? I can work at the gym anywhere. So I moved to Miami at this point, which is where I still live now. Late 07. So I was out of ball for a year and a half. No pro ball for a year and a half. Late 07, I signed in Montenegro. That's when I got back in Europe. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. Like that's a heck of a story. How do you go from not hooping to get to Serbia Montenegro, man? That's a big, you know, tough yeah. league. I never stopped working out. I mm-hmm. kept working out. Uh, I kept working on my game because, mind you, I mean, you deal with agents. The more agents you deal with, you hear everything, right? So when I came back home from Mexico, the agent and me- the Mexican agent is telling me, look, the league is going to start. And I came back home from Mexico. Let's say it's August. He's like, all right, the league's going to start in like three weeks. I'm going to call you, and we're going we're gonna to bring you back down to come play because there's a team who wants you. I'm like, all right, cool. Three weeks doesn't happen. He says, well, there's an election coming up and the money, and there's all kinds of stories. Right? It's, it's always a story. So they kept getting pushed back, pushed back, pushed back, pushed back to the point that I just stopped calling them. I'm like, all right, this probably ain't going to happen. So I go get me a regular job. I'm back. I'm still in my parents' house, and my parents are looking at me like, all right, what you going to do? All right, I'm 24 at this point. I had to get out of there. So I got me a job, got out of there. I got me a little studio apartment in Philly and I kept working out. Uh, I was working at a gym and they had a basketball. Uh, they had a location with a basketball court. So I went and played in the league at mm-hmm. that gym. And that's what really kept me in shape and playing in like two, three leagues at the same time. I met a couple guys who were pro level players who were either retired or they, they did training and stuff like that. So I stayed sharp that whole year when I wasn't playing, I stayed very sharp in my game. And then in 07, I just started emailing teams. I said, forget the agent. I'm just email teams myself. And I don't know if this works now because everybody started doing it. But back then, around 07, I'd start emailing teams myself. So I just email. I probably sent 10,000 emails in the fall of 2007. And it ain't even 10,000 teams in the world. So how do you send (laughs) teams emails over and over again? I just tried different stuff. I was just I was basically learning copywriting by sending emails to these coaches. I was learning how to market myself. And that's all I was doing, sending emails to these teams. And finally, a team responded and they said, yo, we like what you got. Because at this point, I'm on YouTube, right? I got on YouTube in 05. So I got this highlight video of myself that I made that's on YouTube. So I'm sending them a link to the YouTube video with my email. So it's not just talking. I'm sending a link. So somebody responded and said, yo, we like your video. Are you available? Like, we we ready to sign you right now. And this is crazy. This is 07. At the time, actually, I was living in Tampa Bay, Florida. This is before I moved to Miami. Now, in Tampa Bay... This team is in Herceg Novi, Montenegro, which is right on the water, right on okay. the uh, Bay of Kotor. It's like a, 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 a tourist, tourist city mm-hmm. in uh, Montenegro. The manager from the team is the one who saw my email. The manager happens to have friends who live in Tampa Bay because they go on vacation every year to Europe and they stay in that city where the team is at. What? And the guy responded to me was like, he said, what city are you in? I said, I live in Tampa Bay, Tampa, Florida. He said, well, cool. We have some friends who live in Tampa. 
could you please go and meet them at their hotel? They own the hotel. Can you go meet them at their hotel? And if they check, if they meet you and you check out and you are everything you say you are, and they give us a good report because we trust them. We don't know you, but we trust them. Mm-hmm. If they give us a good report, then look, we're going to sign you. So I go meet them. It's an older white couple in Tampa Bay. I go meet them. They own a hotel. I go meet them at their hotel. They go talk to me. They're like, yo, this team is really ready to sign you. They're friends of ours. We know them. So don't worry about anything. They they are people of their word. They're all good. They sign me and they fly me out to Hersing Novi. So that's how I got on in Montenegro. And it, the fact that I had I was in Tampa Bay actually made it easier because they had people who could kind of like say, like, yeah, this guy is he is really six four. Like he is really <laughs> whatever he says. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's how I got on in Montenegro. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So, so obviously Montenegro and how many different countries did you play in in your tenure career? Man, so after that, there was Germany, which was the – so that was the second half of the 07 going into 08. Then I went to Germany the next season, which would be like right now. Came back from Germany, didn't have a, didn't have a deal. So I went another year with no deal. That's when I really started focusing on building what became my brand online because mm. now you can sell stuff on the internet. Now you can – become an influencer. Now I started doing that. I started putting out content like every day. So that's when I start, you know, the whole work on your game, all of that came around that time. Mm. And uh, next was Croatia. That was, uh, Croatia was 2010 going into 2011. After that was Slovakia. And again, there was gaps in between all of this. <laughs> and that was, that's when I started writing books. That's when I started. I mean, that's really when I started really focusing on the internet because I knew I, I saw from about 2008 on, that I had very little control over the basketball thing. And mm-hmm. I knew because of my pedigree coming from a D3 school that it was going to be a struggle every time I was going to have to grind to kind of get that next opportunity. And I'm like, I don't have control over this. I can't, I can't keep doing this. I, I got to have something that I control. So the internet happened to start becoming the internet at the same time that I was going through these challenges of trying to get my next deal and the next deal and the next deal. So mm-hmm. I really started focusing on that. And that's when I started you know, selling my own products, writing my own books, making my own courses, and I got way more, I had way more momentum on the internet than I had in uh, pro ball, even though I wanted to play pro ball, because that's the reason why I'm doing all this, so I can get on playing pro ball. Like, And people would see me on YouTube and be like, why are you working out every day like this? You no, know, putting out content. Nowadays, people do it just to put out content. Yeah, sure. I was doing it because I was working out to play ball. I was just looking for my next deal. I was just putting it on the internet because I happened to have a camera. I wasn't trying to become an internet guy. I was trying to be a you know, real life pro ball guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I would tell people that like, I'm not trying to get y'all to know me off the internet. I want y'all to see me playing like in actual. Yeah. Basketball. yeah, yeah, right. yeah, but yeah, that, yeah. It just became a thing. It naturally just became a thing because nobody else was doing it at that time. And there were a lot of young guys, like I'm 41 years of age. So people who are like five, 10 years younger than me, they all grew up watching me on YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was the only one putting stuff out at the beginning. Then a whole new wave of people came in probably around like 2010 moving on. But that was the thing for me was I was just trying to get on hooping. And when it wasn't working, I said, I got to do something. That's when the internet kind of became the opportunity. And then when I saw where it was going, I said, oh, I'm a businessman. So let me take advantage of the business. Okay. So obviously, you know, you did 10 years. and Obviously, you know, there's a spot in between. That's pretty much everybody. I don't know. I don't know anybody who had, who's had a flawless 10-year stake of their, you know, their career. Even yeah. myself, I missed a year because, you know, I, I had stress fractures in my both my shins. So mm-hmm. I had surgery, you know, multiple surgeries. And, you know, after that, my career, it was I still hooped, but it wasn't the same as what it was before, you know, before pre-injury. So, like right. you know, especially with the money, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But as far as yourself goes, um, you already had a plan kind of going, you know, why you were still hooping. Do you think that, you know, NBA players or NBA players, but players who who professionally should have that plan, like while they're still playing or should they kind of like, you know, play the thing out and then kind of be thinking about it towards the end? It's a great question. And I always wonder for me, like, let's say I had played for, you know, I got signed by the Sixers, right? And they gave me a guaranteed six-year contract. I probably would not have built what I built online had I had that because I wouldn't have been thinking, 
about a plan B. You know, I wouldn't been thinking about what else will I do if this doesn't work out because I got a guaranteed contract. I know exactly how much money I'm going to make every week, every day for the next six years. Uh, if I had that, then I would have just focused on ball. Let me just see how great I can be. If I just focus on ball, let me hire some trainers. Let me get a nutritionist. I would have did everything I could to max out on basketball. So I always wonder what it would have been like had that been the situation. But And at the same time, understanding that every athlete, at some point that ball stops bouncing. I don't care how good you are. Right. Mm-hmm. You'd be the best player in the world. Like by 35, most athletes are done and you still got another half of your life to live. So it was kind of a blessing and a curse at the same time that the curse being that it wasn't always easy for me to get that next opportunity, but a blessing because it wasn't easy that I had to start looking at other alternatives. And I started looking right when what we now call you no know, being an influencer or a thought leader, all this stuff you can do online from the comfort of your couch was just starting to become a thing. And I happen to be a computer geek, internet geek at the same time I'm an athlete, right? So those opportunities just coalesced. So at the same time, I wasn't getting the opportunity. So to answer your question is, it depends. Like I had I had a guaranteed deal, then I would have did things completely different, but I never had a guaranteed deal. So I had to do other things. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because like, it's, like from what your story is obviously going, you know, it just seemed like you was already ready you know, mm-hmm. to kind of take the next step after you retire. So right. let me ask you this. When did you know it was time to retire? Great question. So this was about 2000, 2014 going into 2015. This is the last year that I played. And I stopped playing cold turkey, by the way. When I stopped, I stopped. I haven't played since <laughs> 2015. So around 2014, I had went to, I was playing pickup at a university in Miami and uh, I was just talking to this dude like, yeah, man, I got only got a couple more years off of ball and I'm going to stop. I'm going to go do something else. And the guy was like, well, what are you going to do? I said, I might get into professional speaking because at this point I had all these videos on YouTube and the people watching me on YouTube liked, they just liked the way I articulated, the way I could explain stuff. And they said, man, you sound like a, a speaker. You should go into speaking or coaching or something like that. Right, so right, said, right. Maybe I'll go into professional speaking. So I didn't know that I didn't even know it was a whole business to stand on the stage and giving a speech and getting paid for it. But he said, you ever been to this event, this place called Toastmasters? And I, I had heard of Toastmasters, but I didn't know anything about it. You know what Toastmasters is? You familiar? No, I never heard of it. It's a uh, volunteer organization where people just gather and practice communication. So people give a speech, oh. then somebody comes up and evaluates your speech. Basically a place where people meet and just work on communication skills, public speaking skills. So I go to the next meeting is in South Beach. And uh, there's a guy at the meeting, black guy. There's only, he's the only other black guy in there. And there's only like 20 people in the room, maybe 15. He comes up to me and says, yo, I heard you. I gave my little, just my little spiel. Like I used to play ball. You know, I'm about to stop playing ball. And I'm thinking about getting into the speaking business. And he comes up and says, well, look, I used to play ball too. And I'm getting to the speaking business too. But I didn't know his face. Now his ball was football. He used to play football. Mm. He played at University of Miami. He had played in the NFL, been an all pro and all this. His name was uh, Philip Buchanan. Some of y'all may have heard of him. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel like, yeah, 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 I feel like Buchanan. He sounds like he was at the U, like I might have saw yes. him on. Yes. Yeah. When, yeah, when they were the U. Yeah, yeah, he was there then. And, but I didn't know his face, because, you know, football players, they wear the helmet, so you don't know their faces. I knew his name, but not his face. Right. So he introduced himself, he says, I'm about to go to this meeting where people who get paid to speak, they all gather. It's called the National Speakers Association. That yeah. I've heard of, I've heard of that, yeah. He was going to their event, it was in San Diego. And he said, I'm going. So when I get back, whoever I meet, I'll give you their information. He gave me somebody's information. I called that woman. She lived in Miami. She was a professional speaker doing like you know, $10,000 a gig. She was doing it full time. So I called her. We met at a Starbucks. The meeting was supposed to be like 30 minutes. We sat there for four hours. And the reason we sat there for four hours is not because I'm so great, but because when she was talking, I was just taking notes. Everything she was saying, I was just writing down. I basically transcribed every word she said because I was I was just soaking up the game, like because everything she was doing, I wanted to do. She mm. was writing books. She was speaking. She was coaching. She was consulting. She was getting paid for her knowledge. That's what she was doing. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. And she saw that I was actually listening. So she kept going. And that's how I really started to get my segue. That was 2014. So that last year playing ball, I was kind of doing two things at the same time. I was starting to build up my online stuff. I was starting to do some speaking gigs. Like most of them started out just free gigs and stuff like that. But I'm traveling and all that and still trying to hoop at the same time, doing both at the same time. Right. But I know that if you're only giving a 50% effort to ball, eventually it's going to show on the court. Right. So I, I wasn't playing the best that I could possibly play. And I knew that. So I said, all right, at some point I got to stop. I just needed to figure out when. And I remember finish line, a sneaker company 
they did this like influencer tournament, like a three on three tournament for influencers. And at that time I was on their radar. So they brought a bunch of us to New York. We played in a three on three tournament and the prize was $10,000 and we won. We won the tournament. So I won that 10 grand and I said, this is my last basketball game. I'm walking off on this. So <laughs> we won that tournament. The championship game, we won 11 to zero. Shut out. Beat the team 11 to zero. I said, this is my last game. And that was the last game I have ever played in my life. That was in 2005. So that's when I walked away from basketball. And I said, now I'm going to just go full time into doing all this stuff. And that's what I do now. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, like I said, like you, you know, a lot of people don't get a chance to walk off as a champion. That's right. They have to, they have to get pulled off or dragged off the court. Exactly. So, like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, crawl off the court. You know, like, so I feel you on that one, man. You know, mm-hmm. that's a that's a heck of a that's a heck of a way to go out. Now yeah. I do have one last question about the sports, and then we'll get into everything else you're doing. Yeah. Uh, what was the best country that you played in? Oh man, that's a great one. I Man, I'll have to cheat on that. I got to give you three answers. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, number fine. one, I got to go Lithuania first. That was the first place I ever went. That was, my, that was my first time out of the country to go to Lithuania. And mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. just walking around 23 years of age. And I got euros in my pocket. And all you see is everybody there is uh, slim and everybody's white and slim. Right? <laughs> white and slim. <laughs> you don't see that in America. Right? Right. So, right. That's true. That's right. true. That's true. Yeah. So that, that's number one. I got to get that number one just because the best memory is the first place. Uh, number two, I would have to go uh, Hersic Navy, Hersic Novi Montenegro, because even though it was the dead of the winter, it only got to about 50 degrees because it's right there on the water. And I had a beautiful apartment. They set it up perfectly. It was right upstairs from the internet cafe. So this is, Back before Wi-Fi was a thing, you had to go to the cafe to use the internet. I just bring my laptop and just sitting there all day. So I love that place. And we practiced twice a day there. And we only had one game a week. So my my jump shot was automatic at that time because <laughs> we practiced so much. That's all we did was just shoot, shoot. That's all we did. So my jump shot was like, I can make threes with my eyes closed at that time because we practiced so much. So I would go Hersing Novi number two. And number three, a lot of people surprised by this one. I got to go Mexico. And the reason I go to Mexico, because I actually went to Mexico a second time in, in 2012. I didn't mention that. But Mexico was a place that every day was like a, a mixed bag. You never knew what you were going to get in Mexico. All right. Every day you, <laughs> walked, you walked out that door, you had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> it was crazy in Mexico. I got three different infections in Mexico. I thought I was going blind. I got food poisoning. I got some kind of toe infection. But the, the partying, the night. The nightclubs we went to, the nightlife, the stories. I, mean, I could write a whole book on my experience in Mexico because it was just you never knew what was going to happen day by day. It was crazy. And at 24 years of age, it was like being in college. It was like college. <laughs> that was what Mexico was like. So I'll go those three. OK. OK. Well, yeah. No, that's cool. Like I said, when you have a 10 year career, like, you know, you can pick three, three cities, you know what I'm saying? Or three yeah. countries. That's good. All right. All right. So you you actually know you you know you finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're obviously trying to get into public speaking. Now, yeah. how do you get into writing books and things like that? Well, that way I had to, I would, first of all, I had to go back to my, give my mother credit. She's an educator. So she had uh, my sister and I reading books from a very young age. So mm-hmm. I've always been into reading. That's how I got into writing. So I was actually uh, blogging in 2005. That was the first thing I did on the internet that was like public. I was blogging, but my blog didn't take off. It's not like I had a whole bunch of fans or nothing like that. I was just blogging. And then uh, self-publishing. No, I was blogging like when I first started playing overseas. This is before I even had a website. I was on Facebook because, you know, when you graduate from college, all your friends from college connect with you on Facebook. So I'm playing overseas and I'm just writing little blogs about my experiences overseas on Facebook. So all my friends from college are seeing it and they're liking it. This is like my my writing style. Like They just like the way I would tell these stories and just describe stuff because I know they know that I'm seeing things that they will never see. Mm-hmm. Right overseas so that's where i started blogging and then i got I started my website in 07 and then uh, self-publishing became a thing this is about 2010 i found out about self-publishing where you can write a book put it out and you don't have to go through a you don't have to get anyone's approval to write your own book so mm-hmm. that's when i wrote my first book was 2010 and i just put that out for free and then because i was making all these uh, basketball training programs for the ball players what happened is the ball players started asking me questions about Yo, why do you work out every day or how do you get the confidence to perform in a game? Or why do you keep trying when you got cut from the high school team three times and you walked on D3 and like you're trying to play overseas, but you're not signed right now? 
So I started talking about things like discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative. I started doing these videos called the weekly motivation. And I did those every Monday for 400 Mondays in a row. And that's where people started noticing like, yo, this guy, yeah, he can hoop, but he also can, he can explain it. He can explain the mindset behind it. And that's really where I found my calling was when I started doing that. And the ball player said, well, Dre, you're talking about mindset so much. And you also, I had these programs called Hoop Handbook, which was the training programs I was selling. Somebody said, well, since you talk about mindset, why don't you make a mental handbook? I said, that makes makes good sense. I'll write that. So I wrote a book called The Mental Handbook. I still got it to this day. And that's when I started writing more books around like mindset and things like that. And because of that, that's when I started to build the bridge between the ball players and everybody else. So the people who don't play ball started finding me through that mindset material. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started writing more books. So that's how I got into the book writing. Man, that's a heck of a story, man. Like, you know, that's, you know, like we don't think about it. Like you said, like the, you know, like just writing all the knowledge that we have in our heads, but actually you actually exactly. doing it because we kind of, you know, like we don't really speak it. The athletes have this certain kind of, you do it and it's unspoken word kind of thing. But the fact that you actually right. doing it and pushing it out, mm. you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's huge, man. Well, I want to say thank you, Dre, man, because, like, man, like, please tell the people, you know, about everything you're doing and where they can find you because, like, uh, man, it's it's a lot of great stuff. Sure. Uh, well, you can find me. I'm on all the socials. My probably most active is Instagram. My Instagram is just my name, at Dre Baldwin. I'm on every other social platform. I'm on it actively. I I guess the best place you can find me would be uh, workonyourgameuniversity.com. That's where we do all our, our programs and all our coaching and everything like that. But we got plenty of books. I will give people a uh, who's your who's your best audience member? I'll tell you which book to give them based on that. Uh, my best audience member. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. probably my dad. Probably my dad. <laughs> well, who's, what's, what's like their their target mindset or biggest challenge they're dealing with right now? Because I can offer one of my books. All right. Uh with him, I would say that, you know, just the daily grind of everything, you know. Uh, okay. We, you know, a little backstory, you know, obviously my mom passed away a couple of years ago. So, mm. it's, you know, it's just been hard on the family kind of thing. But, right. you know, it's like just the daily grind of everything. And now he's kind of, he's rejuvenated with my son because my son plays high school basketball now. So he's like, Grandpa, okay. Grandpa, you know, like, you know, help me yeah. do this. Help me do that, Grandpa. You and Dad can help me do this. So, He's got his spirit back, but I ain't gonna lie. Like when my mom passed, it was you know, you know, it was hard on him. You know, understood, understood. So what I would offer to everyone is I give a copy of this book called The Third Day: The Decision That Separates the Pros from the Amateurs. And this book is all about how you show up and give your best effort on the days that you least feel like it. And this book is this started with something I was telling the ball players. So they would ask me, Dre, how you come to the gym every day and work out? Because sometimes I don't feel like working out. And I started talking about this concept of how you show up when you don't feel like showing up, because to be a pro, there's going to be days you don't feel like practicing. <laughs> There'll be days you don't feel like being at work, there are days you don't feel like turning on that mic, but you still got to do it. And that's what this book is all about. And I give people a free copy of this book, physical copy of the book, paperback version. All you got to do is cover the shipping. Just go to thirddaybook.com, thirddaybook.com, books free. Just cover the shipping and I'll send you a copy of this physically to your mailbox. Mm, see? Like I said, for all the people that just listening, like he has, he has a lot going on. Like I said, he has a library in the back of his, you know, where, <laughs> where his studio is. So uh, he ain't playing. He ain't playing everybody for real. Well, like I said, Dre, man, I appreciate you, man. Like I said, for coming for coming on the show, man. I have one more question for you, okay. and then you know, then we can you know finish it up. Um, at one point in life, and obviously in your point in life, probably many times, we all get through these low points and low low times. How did you get out of your low time to be successful uh, to where you're at now? Was it family? Was it a guy? Was it a mix of both? Or what was your thing? It was really just getting deeper into myself and all the things that I poured into myself. And so when I say myself, I don't mean I just got it out of nowhere. It's I read a lot. And I consume a lot of material that is uh, kind of stuff that sticks to your ribs, I guess we would say. Uh, that material that just feeds my feeds the fire or you know fuels my mission. And I'm a competitor. And I find myself competing against, many times competing against not a person, but against the circumstance. Mm-hmm. So it is in those times that you they say you don't rise to the level of the occasion, you fall to the level of your preparation. And I've always... Mm-hmm 
been big on preparing myself ahead of time for a situation because that's what every professional does. They're prepared before the situation occurs. They don't figure it out when it happens. So that's why I've always been a big reader. That's why I'm, I'm big into you know, meditation, feeding myself and being ready. So I can say it's any one thing, but it's just build, digging the well before you're thirsty mentally is what I would say. Mm, okay. Man, that's a hell of a statement, man. I ain't going to lie. You know what I'm saying? I love that. I love that. Not not for your preparation. You know what I'm saying? So always be ready. That makes that makes right. sense. I might use that to tell my son that, man. <laughs> That's real <laughs> talk. <laughs> All right. Well, you like I said, thank you for coming on an athlete's journey, Dre, man. Um, you can follow me at Travis W. Reed. That's uh, R-E-E-D, Travis W. on Instagram and Facebook. I post all my social media on both those sites. Also, if you uh, want to see this, watch this video, uh, watch this interview. I will be posting it on my YouTube channel. Uh, link will be in the description. So you can, like I said, follow, like, share, subscribe, let everybody know. Like I said, the YouTube channel is up. And if you're looking for the Athlete's Journey merch, I am rocking it right now. Travis Reed, please just DM or message me. And I will send you a shirt. Uh, like I said, I pay for everything myself. So, yeah, like I said, just... I will I will send you a couple couple shirts or whatever the case is. All right, we'll talk to you later. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.